uh, the lesson this morning is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 37 to 47. Let me pray before we, uh, before we hear this read. Thank you for your word, O oh Lord. Thank you for your, for your message to us in your word. Please, as Pastor Joseph preaches, by your Holy Spirit, quicken our hearts, enlighten our minds through your word. Help Pastor Joseph to explain it clearly and with conviction and help us to respond to it and to become more Christ-like as a result of it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This reading is God's holy and infallible word. Please pay very close attention. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Very good morning to all of you. We will continue uh, on our studies of the book on Acts and we will uh, finish the second half of this passage that we began last Sunday. And we are taking extended time to look at this passage from verses 37 to uh, 47 because this passage tells us about the beginning of the New Testament church on the day of Pentecost. And we want to carefully study the two main ideas in the life of the early church. One is true conversion, and the other is living out the faith as a true community of believers. We considered what true conversion looks like last Sunday in the first half of this passage, and we know that the 3,000 people among the crowd were truly converted. Why? Because it was God who added them to the church. Salvation is always the work of God. God had called the 3,000, and when the 3,000 heard the gospel, God did a work of regeneration in them. That is, God gave them the new spiritual birth, and they became spiritually alive, and they were cut to the heart. They acknowledged their sin and guilt against Jesus, Lord and Messiah. And they cried out in repentance. And in faith, they were baptized. And in obedience, they listened 
to Peter's warning to save themselves from the corrupt generation. And that means they were to live life differently from the world around them. In a word, they were to be a holy people as God is holy. And to be holy is to be set apart for God, to live for God and to be in His service. And this is best done not as individuals, but as a community, which is the church. And this is what the second half of our passage will tell us. It tells us how, as a true community of believers, we are to engage in certain activities that is part of holy living. And so if you keep your Bible open to Acts 2, 42-47, we will look at the pattern of four main activities that mark the early church. And we at TGCC want to emulate this pattern so that we too will be set apart from this world to be God's holy people. So the first activity is that the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is all about Jesus. It is about how Jesus fulfilled all God's promises in the Old Testament and how God made him Lord and Messiah. Today, the apostles' teaching has come to us in Scripture, in the Bible. And this teaching is embodied in the doctrines of the Christian faith. And being well-grounded in the Christian doctrine will keep us from being corrupted by our present generation. And our present generation is now more anti-God. It is more now anti-Christian than ever before. Therefore, we all the more need to be diligently studying the biblical doctrine and embrace it. Sadly, many Christians seem to have the wrong idea about doctrine. They say doctrine divides the church, and so they want to stay away from doctrine. But this is a big mistake, because without doctrine, they will not grow in their knowledge of God. And furthermore, without doctrine, they will be easily misled by false teachers. So we need doctrine. The right doctrine leads to right behavior. A wrong doctrine will lead to wrong behavior. And it is true that doctrine divides. Doctrine divides the mature Christians from the immature Christians. But more significantly, doctrine divides the true Christian from the false Christian. So doctrine tells us whether a local church is a true community of believers or a false one. And if you are a visitor to us, you may want to check out our doctrine, and you should check out our doctrine to see if we conform to the true community of believers as spelled out in Scripture. So let's take the example of the doctrine of salvation, which is the gospel. Now, the apostolic teaching 
in the New Testament clearly tells us that salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus himself said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Yet, many so-called Christians believe that there are other ways to God besides Jesus. And they believe that a person can also be saved through good works and through other religion as well. So these self-professed Christians have not been taught the true gospel, or perhaps they refuse to accept the apostolic teaching. And by refusing to accept the apostolic teaching regarding the doctrine of salvation, they actually show that they do not belong to the true community of believers. They have not been truly converted. And the same can be said of those who have little regard for the doctrine of creation. Now, Jesus himself affirms that God made mankind in his image. Male and female, he made them in his image. And God instituted marriage to be between a man and a woman for the purpose of companionship, sex, and procreation. And so the true believing community, because they are devoted to the apostolic doctrine of, of creation, they will abstain from sex outside marriage. They will not give in to their uh, same-sex attraction. Uh, they will not live out their transgender desire. But the false believing community, they reject the apostolic doctrine of creation. They want to live according to the worldly wisdom that tells them to be true to themselves and to follow whatever their hearts tell them to do. And so going against scriptural teaching and going against biology, they endorse same-sex marriage, they encourage people to live out their transgender feeling, and in the process, they become part of the corrupt generation and they will not be saved on the day of the Lord. So brothers and sisters, let us make TGCC a true believing community. Let us help one another escape the snare of worldly wisdom, which leads to destruction. Instead, let us hold fast to the apostolic teaching, which leads to life in Christ Jesus. And let us be diligent in the study of Scripture. And let us be fluent in the doctrine of our faith. And let us live out the biblical truths that we hold to. So, how else can we escape from the snare of the worldly wisdom that is so prevalent among us? Well, Scripture tells us, by devoting ourselves to fellowship, as the early church did. Now, the Greek word translated fellowship is koinonia. And koinonia has the connotation of sharing a common friendship. And so when we come together in church fellowship, we, we are to build up a strong and close-knit friendship with one another. 
And why must we develop strong friendship at church? Because friendship with the world is enmity towards God. That is what James, the Lord's brother, says. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, this does not mean that we cannot have non-Christian friends at all. No. We should have friends among unbelievers. But it means that if our best friends, our most intimate friends are unbelievers, then we are in spiritual danger. This is because our best unbelieving friends cannot share in things that will lead us to godliness or to holiness. And more often than not, they will lead us into worldly pursuits. And so we and our best non-Christian friends then become partners in worldliness. So that is why we need close and deep Christian friends. We need to cultivate close and deep friendship with fellow Christians. Your best friends must be within the church, from the church. And then we can share in godly pursuits. We can confess our sins to one another. And in this way, we help one another turn away from worldliness and strive towards holiness. So we do not come to church just for worship. We come to church to have fellowship as well. And you may have legitimate reason to leave immediately after service, but we really want you to stay back, to encourage you uh, to, to develop this friendship, to strengthen your friendship one with another, to experience the love and warmth of Christian worship, uh, of Christian fellowship, and to enjoy the joy of the Lord among Christian friends. <clears throat> so the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they devoted themselves to fellowship, and they also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of bread re usually refers to meals, not necessarily the Lord's Supper. And so church meals were common uh, in the early church. But incorporated in these meals, the early Christians also had the Lord's Supper. And this was a pattern they had learned from Jesus. You may remember that on the night before he was betrayed, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper at the end of the Passover meal. And so the early church followed that pattern. They came together for their fellowship meal, but at the end of the meal, they also remembered the Lord's death by celebrating the Lord's Supper. So today, we too have this practice of fellowship meals at church. Now because of COVID-19, we have suspended this activity, but there is good news. We are going to resume this lunch fellowship again uh, on Easter Sunday. So please come on Easter Sunday. Yes, come for worship, but also come for the meal. Now, these meals are a great way to cement strong bonds of friendship one with another. However, we celebrate the Lord's Supper separately from the fellowship meal. 
And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we not only have communion with one another, but we also have communion with the Lord Jesus. And this is because the Lord is with us at the Lord's Supper. His presence is among us through His Holy Spirit. And we are reminded as we break bread and take the wine um, that we are united with Christ. And our union with Christ tells us that we cannot belong to the world. And so we cannot subscribe to worldly thinking. Instead, we are to cultivate the mind of Christ so that we live to please God and not please ourselves. Okay, so what else did the early church do to save themselves from the corrupt um, worldly thinking? They also devoted themselves to prayer. The early church was a praying church. And you may remember that in chapter X, chapter 1, we were, uh, we were told that the 120 disciples were constantly in prayer as they waited for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they continued this habit even when 3,000 members joined the church. They were never too busy to pray. In fact, the more members they have, <clears throat> the more they prayed. And this is what Jesus says the church ought to be. Jesus says that his father's house, and which is the church today, is to be a house of prayer. So today we at TGCC are just learning to be a praying church. We are still a long way away uh, from being a house of prayer. But we want to move towards that. And we want everyone to be prayerful, to be more prayerful in private, as well as when we come together. That is why we have introduced a midweek prayer meeting on Zoom. Now, I know many of you are busy, but it would be encouraging to have more people join in. And we also have introduced a prayer time immediately after the formal service, uh, formal end, uh, of, uh, end of our formal service. It is not compulsory, as uh, Mark has said, but we want to encourage everyone to pray, to pray for God's will to be done in our lives, uh, for God's will to be done in church, and for God's will to be done in the world. So our desire to pray tells us that we trust in God's sovereignty to meet all our needs. We trust in God's sovereignty to protect us from the evil one, and we trust God's sovereignty to preserve our faith, our faith in Christ in the face of adversity and hostility. So what other activity did the early church exhibit? Now, verse 43 tells us this amazing feature of the early church. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. <clears throat> Now, the question here is, should churches today expect miracles as part of the repertoire of activities? Now, this is a small area of controversy, and I will address this issue when we come to Acts chapter 3. But for now, suffice to say that the signs and wonders were performed not by any church leaders, 
but they were performed by the apostles. And the signs were to authenticate the authority of the apostles. And in his second letter to the Corinthians, the apostle Paul tells us this, that signs and wonders and miracles are the marks of a true apostle. Now, so the question for us today is, are there true apostles in the church today? Well, to us, the answer is obvious. The apostolic age is long over. And therefore, we should not expect the church today to organize a dedicated ministry to perform signs and wonders. But this is not to deny that God in his sovereignty can do works of miracles among us. But we should not be organizing a ministry especially to perform miracles. But we should expect the church today to practice the principle behind the next activity of the early church. Look at verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, how do you read this? Well, some people think that the early church was practicing a form of communism. You may know the phrase, from each according to his ability, to each according to his need. Now this saying was popularized in the late 19th century by Karl Marx as he promoted his communist philosophy to abolish private ownership of property. And all goods and properties are to come under the collective ownership of the state. But this is not the case in the early church. And we read through the New Testament, we find that the believers owned their own homes. They were free to own private properties. And, they were, and there was no compulsion to bring all properties under the control of the church. Instead, we read that rich believers freely volunteered to sell their property and possessions to meet the needs of the poor believers. Their charitable actions were certainly commendable. And what was driving the rich believers to voluntarily share everything in common and to redistribute their wealth was not communism or communist uh, ideology. It was generosity. Generosity. We who are rich today, and that includes most of us in Australia, must likewise be driven by generosity as we love and care for our neighbors in practical ways. But why should we be generous? It is because we have the most generous God imaginable. God who is rich in mercy has given us eternal life that we do not deserve. 
And so we too must be rich in mercy. And if we want to be godly, we must be generous because we want to be rich in mercy towards others who may not be deserving, but they have needs. And so we want to meet their needs. And may it never be said of us that our hearts are cold and calculative. May it never be said of us that we turn away from those who are in need. Instead, let us be known as cheerful givers. And we want to thank God that there are cheerful givers among us. And we want to give because uh, we give because we want to. And let us be known for our generosity as the early church was known. And then like the early church, we will shine as stars in a corrupt generation that is ruled by a spirit of selfishness. So there you can see that there is a spirit of selfishness out there, but we want to be different. We want to be generous. So what else is said of the true community in the early church? Verse 46 tells us that the believers, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. So the true community of believers uh, was a joyful and thankful group of people as they met in the temple courts as well as in their homes. And in their homes, hospitality was practiced and experienced. And this should mark our church community today. We are to be a joyful, sincere and hospitable group of believers wherever we are, either at the church premises or at home or even when we are in office. Yeah. And when people on the outside look at us, they should respond to us in the same way the outsiders responded to the early church. So look at verse 47, and we can see how the outsiders responded to the early church. <clears throat> now, the early church was enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so we can say that um, the early church was actually practicing a lifestyle evangelism. It is just not by words, but it is by their actions and their behaviors. And through their lifestyle, people were convinced that Christianity is true, Jesus is Lord and Messiah. So it is lifestyle evangelism. So the outsiders had a high regard for the early church. And the believers enjoyed a good reputation in society. And many outsiders were persuaded to join the church as they were saved by God. And in this way, the early church continued to grow numerically. Now today, sadly, the church does not enjoy a good reputation among outsiders. Our society is suspicious of the church. 
and many are critical of the church. Why? I think one of the main reasons is because we have failed to live as the true community of believers. Many churches no longer warn their members of the danger of worldliness. They no longer warn, as Peter warned the early church, to save themselves from the corrupt generation. And many churches no longer promote holy living. Instead, they promote a lifestyle that is not much different from the world. They provide entertainment and they use gimmicks to attract attendance. And many may be converted, but their conversion is likely to be false. And these new converts often live according to their worldly desires, as do their leaders. And when the scandals of their double lives are exposed, the church continues to lose its reputation. So brothers and sisters, we need to regain the early church good reputation. We need to live like the true community in the early church. Our lifestyle must be distinctly different from the world. We are to be people who are committed to biblical doctrine. We, are, we must be people committed to strong godly friendship. And we must be committed to prayer. And we must be known for our joy. We must be known for our generosity and for our hospitality. And then we will see God adding to our number those who are being saved. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are sorry that the church today is riddled with many scandals that have brought disrepute to the name of Jesus. Please forgive us. Help us with the power of your Spirit to live as true community of believers, just like what the early church did. As we faithfully preach and teach your word, may your people strive to live holy lives to please you in all that we do. And may we be known as people who are prayerful, people who are joyful, generous, and hospitable. Please restore the good reputation of the name of Jesus to your church so that many more will be added to your number. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.